Hey, welcome or welcome back to the Ready to Talk podcast. I am your host, The Thoughtful Beast. It's PTSD Awareness Month, so I'm actually going to re-release a podcast episode that we had earlier on. It's about living with CPTSD, and I want to have it again because living with CPTSD is a really big part of my life. (sighs) Growing up, it shaped a lot of who I am in mostly horrible ways. It took a really long time for me to discover who I am outside of what that illness made me. And there are still parts of myself that I am untangling from my CPTSD, even today. On a lighter note, I made affirmation cards for Asian women that are going on pre-order tomorrow. Making them is actually helping me heal from some intergenerational trauma. So it's nice. It's been a nice coping mechanism for me. So if you are interested, they'll be for sale on my website tomorrow, thethoughtfulbeast.com. If you're not interested, that's totally fine. But yeah. Getting back to the point, it's PTSD Awareness Month, and we're going to talk about complex PTSD. I'm talking about it with Cristal again. It's going to be amazing. Hi, Trixie. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. I'm very excited. I'm very excited because a lot of people, um, you know, CPTSD isn't common knowledge, not yet. Um, And, you know, it's always harder with with good reason to find people who are willing to talk about like their own experiences with mental illness so i'm really excited for this talk before we get down to it let us all know a little bit about yourself yes i am someone who works at a nonprofit. i actually work at a local nonprofit here in san diego and before I worked at my current nonprofit, I worked for an amazing organization, also a nonprofit called Traveling Stories, where they continue to help children fall in love with reading. Outside of that, I love social media. And so in social media, I actually do a live show with two co-hosts. It's called Oh No, Not Another Live Show. You can find us on Facebook. And we discuss all kinds of topics anywhere from social media to Next week, we're bringing on actually my very own trauma therapist. So he'll be available to answer questions and we'll be diving into maybe the current crisis and what that means for trauma uh, survivors and mental health. Um, But mostly I'm excited to be here because I believe that everyone has a story and every story is important and that stories matter because it helps us all realize that we are more alike than different. And I'm ready and more than willing to help get rid of the stigma of mental health because with getting rid of the stigma more of us are willing to reach out for help and get the help that we need and heal it's so important to heal from um, trauma that is that we do have the ability to heal from so Trixie thank you for bringing me on the show I'm excited to chat with you further and share stories and converse (laughs) yeah I'm really excited to talk about it um, so I guess let's just let's start from the top or somewhat of a top. Um, yeah. When did or let's talk about like getting diagnosed because both of us are diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about like that experience. What has your experience being diagnosed with CPTSD? Yes, yes. 
And this is, yeah, this is a somewhat of a journey because my journey into realizing what I thought was PTSD, so often when we're experiencing mental health, we have to start Googling our own symptoms, right? Or we start talking to friends. And a lot of times people don't know what to tell us and how to help us. Um, and I knew that I had PTSD. I was in a long-term abusive relationship. Um, I was in a 20-year long abusive relationship. I knew for sure that I had PTSD. I was experiencing extreme anxiety. I was experiencing panic attacks. Um, my health was dwindling. My hair was falling out. I knew, I knew that I needed uh, trauma therapy, but it took me a good five years to even get to that point. Mm. I left the abusive marriage three years ago. Uh, about a year and a half later, I finally reached out and found myself a trauma therapist that I could trust because again, therapy is scary. And, scary. and PTSD um, is specialized therapy. And I knew that talk therapy like I'd had in the past wasn't what I needed. I knew that I needed very specialized therapy. Well, fast forward after I went through therapy with my original therapist, um, I was paying out of pocket because a lot of insurance companies won't cover PTSD. Again, it's, it's specialized. I was paying out of pocket. Um, eventually, fast forward to now about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, I found my current therapist um, who is specialized in PTSD, CPTSD. I had kind of watched him on social media. I, I watched him share his own experiences. I reached out to him after a friend said that he goes to him as well. And for the past month, month and a half, I've been doing EMDR and also something called IFS, which is internal family systems therapy. And I am telling you the breakthrough that I've had, the healing that I've already had is unbelievable. Walking, walking in CPTSD or PTSD, we walk with blinders on and we experience the world through a filter of trauma which yeah. every experience we have is filtered through a place of fight or flight at all times. Yes. And I, and I knew that, and I knew that now I didn't want to continue patterns that I'd had up until this point. I knew it was time to heal and to move forward. And I'm telling you my, this right now, EMDR and IFS, I've already experienced so much freedom. I'll use the word freedom because I'm noticing certain areas of my life that that were once filtered through that that goggle of PTSD, CPTSD, it's already gone. And my therapist did explain to me that, you know, once you deal with one issue, for example, one of my big issues was feeling safe under certain circumstances, which is understandable with abuse. Once I dealt with just one issue, it got rid of an entire scenario of feeling unsafe. I thought I was going to have to go into every single circumstance that I had felt unsafe with in my abusive marriage. I didn't. It took one it took one therapy session that I had to go into and just feeling so much freedom and healing in that. Like people are even saying you're glowing. <laughs> you start you start glowing and you stop walking like with uh almost a cloud and heaviness over you. So I don't know what your experience is with that, but but I'd be curious to hear as well. Yeah, so there's like a lot to unpack there. And it's really, I mean, I think mental illnesses and disorders and just like effects on mental health through trauma um, 
are very difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. I realized we didn't talk about what is PTSD and what is CPTSD and what they stand for. So I'm going to do that really quick. Yes. So PTSD, people are more familiar with that. It's post-traumatic stress disorder. Most people relate it to people in the military. Mm -hmm. um, I think literally the first time I learned of PTSD, I was learning it in history class as, a, um, as something that many veterans came back with. Um, was post-traumatic stress disorder. It is a myth that you have to be a soldier going through war to get mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, you can be anyone because it very, PTSD comes from experiencing a single traumatic event. <laughs> so like, and that traumatic event can really range. It can be, um, I'm sorry, a bird just flew into my window and it scared me. Um, um, it can be a bird flying into your window. No, um, it can be um, being mugged on the street can cause PTSD. Um, it could be being beaten up like at school when you were a child, like really badly. Um, it could be someone's death that you were really close to can actually also give you PTSD. And then CPTSD, which stands for complex post-traumatic stress disorder, um, is not yet acknowledged by the DSM-5. Um, we were talking about that before we started going. So the DSM-5 is kind of just like the, how do I put this like plainly? Like it's like the big book of the professionals being like, this is a disorder, this is not. Like they're the people who are going like, this is this, this is not. They're the people that changed um, uh, people with Asperger's. Now it's just on the spectrum of autism. Like they made those changes. So like they kind of get the yes and no of what's what. So they don't yet recognize complex post-traumatic stress disorder, but other places do. Um, and so the big, or I feel like the easiest difference to say about it is complex post-traumatic stress disorder comes from a long time, like a long period of abuse. Mm -hmm. So um, like Cristal is saying, like being in an abusive marriage for years, um, or if you were abused as a child for years by your parents or by like a nanny, like the thing is duration. Because the big thing with CPTSD, it develops like with and from like the sense of long-term helplessness and hopelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think a lot of people, like, I don't know how you feel about this, because I like, um, I feel like a lot of people actually rec relate to CPTSD. Mm -hmm. This is something like interesting that I've kind of been like noticing a mm -hmm. lot lately, especially when I get closer to people or when they tell me just like about different things and them growing up. And I'm just like, you know, like, I'm never going to be like, you at PTSD because like, yeah. no, you can't do that. That's not great. Um, but just you know, like certain like symptoms of PTSD or at least like, oh, I think that became trauma to you. You know, like those kind of like inclinations, those kind of thoughts um, with talking with people and their Absolutely. pain and how that relates to trauma. Absolutely. I have this theory that the world will heal if everyone decides to take that big step of hope and work through trauma, whatever it might be. Everyone has trauma in some sort of way. And again, we learn to process our entire life through trauma. And once we can work through it, once we can find a therapist to help us work through it. And that's the thing about trauma is often, I would say, actually, I'm going to go out on a limb and say every time we need someone to walk us through the healing process of trauma. Um, and that's key. We can't do it alone. And so, and therein comes the hope. 
in CPTSD, like, like you mentioned, when we're in the middle of long-term trauma, what that means is, again, long-term ab abuse that we think we are never going to get out of. Or actually, I wrote a list of some of the people that might experience CPTSD, again, because like you said, people don't quite understand what that means. So a war prisoner, prisoner of war, um, childhood abuse, like you said, nar narcissistic abuse, which may not be necessarily uh, physical abuse, but you're dealing with emotional, emotional, financial, uh, spiritual abuse ongoing, and you think you are never going to get out. And you want to cling to hope so bad, whether for whatever reason that you're in this circumstance that's keeping you go going through ongoing trauma so badly, we want to cling to that hope that we hear about. We want to believe that that hope is real, and yet we can't get out of it because we're stuck in a situation. How do we get out of it? Um, I was blessed and so lucky that I was able to leave three years ago. Um, and I remember thinking the night before I left, if hope is real, if hope is real, I'm going to believe just a little bit longer. I'm going to hang on just a little bit longer, but I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Knowing I was going to leave, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I didn't have a job. I was a single mom. I didn't want to leave without my kids. I had no financial stability. I was losing my hair. I wrote down some of the, what does it feel like to have this? I wrote down some of the, what, if I can find my list. Um, it feels like constant flashbacks. Our body becomes numb. Um, sometimes we detach ourselves from our physical body. It's like we're living out here so we don't have to feel what's in here. Dissociation. Dissociation, exactly. Hypervigilance. For me, the biggest thing, for me, the biggest thing was I realized suddenly I was in a constant state of hypervigilance and I was never coming out of it. And I was starting to feel so sick, like nauseated, unable to concentrate, extreme ADD. Um, my, my blood pressure was rising and I had never had high blood pressure before. So all of those things and what hypervigilance feels like or that state of being scared at all times, imagine, imagine you're in a car crash and your heartbeat goes up and you feel that rush, but imagine that never leaving. Mm. And that's what I felt for five years. Five my, like, never went away. My, um, my hypervigilance to me feels like, um, like I'm being stalked. Like, uh, like, uh, like by a mountain lion that I know is there. Like, and I'm just like, I know you can come at any time. Like, and I won't really know, but because I know you're there, like, I'm like, I'm freaked out all the time. It's just like, I don't know when, I don't know where, but I know, like, I know you can come in and basically like destroy me at any moment. Exactly. That felt like that for me. And you have no idea when it's going to, you don't know when you're going to experience Thankfully, I'm no longer experiencing the five year long in that state at all times. Um, but now I experience maybe when I wake up at night, I'll, I'll kind of wake up with a start um, or just walking around. You don't know what might trigger that that state of hypervigilance, you know, that that's so I, I completely relate, um, relate to that. So like I said, finally reaching out to a trauma therapist, I am telling you, I've already had so much freedom from that constant state of living in hypervigilance, responding that way. Um, and that's exhausting. So another, another symptom of CPTSD or any mental health challenge is just 
always being exhausted. I don't know if you feel like that. Always tired. Are you always tired? Yes, yes I am. I really could sleep all day if given oh. the choice. I know. But quarantine has proven to me. <laughs> Absolutely. And the reason I reached out to my trauma, my most recent trauma therapist is too, is I will be super honest and say quarantine triggered me. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure why, but it did. It triggered me and I knew I was, or I was beginning to feel the symptoms of going back into that state of anxiety and depression. And I, I just said, I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. I have things to do. I can't live like that. So I knew I had to reach out to a trauma therapist and get help immediately before I sunk all the way back down into that depressive state. So, yeah. and I applaud you for that so much because honestly, like it's so hard dealing with mental health and your and mental illness. And you always, you know, like we all have bad patterns, or not all of us. Yeah, a lot of us have bad patterns of like, oh, I'm gonna put it off. Like I know I need therapy, but I'm just gonna put it off. Like it's not that bad yet. It's not that bad yet. It's not that mm -hmm. bad yet. Um, and then, you know, we go to a place where like, it's so dark that we don't even want to go get professional help anymore. Cause we're like, now it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Like we go from not bad enough to it's so bad that it can't help. Absolutely. And like, that's so horrible, but that's so honestly, it's so common though. Yeah. Like, Cause it's really hard, you know, like to get out of that behavioral pattern by yourself, like, yeah. and even like acknowledge it. And like you said, like you didn't have time. And that's, I feel like is something that we, that I have said before too, to be like, oh, well, I, I don't have time for help right now. Um, but like, but look, like it's helping you and you, you're doing all these different things. I would love for you to explain what EMDR is because that's a specific trauma therapy that I think a lot of people are not familiar with. I will try my best to explain it and um, oh gosh. Okay. I will try my best to give it justice. Um, but definitely look up EMDR, anyone viewing this, look it up because I'm probably going to explain it a little bit wrong. So what might, I will be specific to myself. What my trauma therapist has done with oh, me. Wait, sorry. Can you explain the acronym? Is what it it's, I, rapid eye movement? What is it? Eye movement. Desensitize. See, I know I never remember it either. EMDR, because the way I memorized it the first time, I was wrong. <laughs> there you go. Eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. Yes, and help me through this if I do something weird. But basically, uh, my therapist uses his fingers and goes like this. And by the way, I'm doing this online right now because we, we can't go see a therapist. I don't know if those restrictions have been lifted, but I've been doing it online, and it's been working. So, Good. so um the desensitization, you're, you follow the, uh, your therapist's fingers is how mine does it. And then you go into a specific trauma because again, one trauma, once you heal from one trauma, it is most likely going to help you heal from all of the traumas that are like that. Um, again, I'm not an ex expert, so don't think you know, don't take my whatever my word for this and say, okay, I'm going to go one time and I'm going to be healed. I'm not the expert work with a professional. But for me, it seems like, um, and my trauma therapist verified, at least in my experience, I went into one specific trauma. And in my case, it was, it had to do with feeling unsafe with my abuser ongoing. 
And so I went into a very specific, he walked me through going to a very specific experience of feeling unsafe. And my therapist helped me give words to the feelings that I was having in that moment. And he helped me realize what I needed to tell myself in that moment to help me heal. So in that case, I needed to hear myself say, he is not safe, he never was safe. I don't know how that, th that phrase was what I needed to hear, but that's what I needed to hear. And it got rid of maybe the guilt, maybe the what I had been carrying, trying to fix this particular situation or this particular human being. Um, somehow we end up caring and caring and how can we fix this? And I no longer had to fix it. I no longer had to make things right. I just needed to know that he was never safe. He still isn't safe. And it got rid of that trauma. Um, and then one of the other things I needed to hear is you are powerful. Because yeah. we, we lose our power in the face of trauma. We think we're not powerful. Another thing that I needed to hear is you are worthy, oh. especially especially in abuse, maybe anything. I'm speaking specifically of abuse. I needed to hear and I needed to tell myself, you are worthy, you are powerful. And we went from that place into part of EMDR, at least in my instance, I don't know how every therapist works. Um, we create a safe space outside of that trauma so that if we begin to feel unsafe, as we're revisiting that specific trauma, we have a safe space to go to and um, uh, feel the peace and not be triggered if that's going to happen. And so I could have gone to the safe space at any point um, and left the trauma. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to, but after visiting the trauma, telling myself in the trauma what I needed to hear, I went to the safe space. I was able to describe it to my therapist and and just feel peace and feel healed. And I will say after a therapy session though, I'm exhausted. I'm so exhausted. Yeah. My therapist said, make sure you drink water, uh, make sure you go for a walk. Uh, you might feel a headache. And I will say the next week, the next day, I feel absolutely exhausted. And then a week later, I realize I'm no longer carrying this trauma. And so it's, I'm, that's where I am right now. I, I have been doing it for about a month and a half, I believe, specifically with EMDR and IFS. Prior to that, I worked on a different form of therapy, but this, this is what's working for me. Um, I don't know. I think you said you had, you did EMDR. I did, did not do EMDR, okay. actually. Yeah, I'm looking for a therapist who will do EMDR with me that is covered by my insurance. And unfortunately okay. for me, for uh, my carriers, the only two people that I found are booked out. So I'm just on a wait list. Um, I will say, though, I know other people that have done EMDR and their experiences. I know like with what they use, they, you said that your therapist use their fingers. I know yeah. someone else I know, they had like a light. There was okay. like, a light thing they had to follow. And another friend, she had a controller. Okay. She had like a remote control controller that I can't remember exactly what she said, but she had a controller and basically like it would buzz. Okay. Um, so that, I haven't experienced it, but I know that people have said that before. Um, the tired thing is something I hear a lot. And I've also heard very much like EMDR, like it's very difficult 
But if mm -hmm. you get through it, it's highly worth it. And mm -hmm. it's really not something that you should start and not finish. Yeah. Because then you could just end up triggering yourself and staying triggered. Cause like you, you obviously like, like you said, like it's, it's working through the trauma and that can be a lot. Like that can be very painful. You know, there's a reason why at least I specifically would want a professional to be with me when that's happening, because at least for me, like in my personal experience, you know, like dealing with my depression and my anxiety, like, yeah, it is very difficult, but um, things like DBT and CBT, those things for me have helped okay. um, with those. I don't know what not, that is. What is oh, DBT? sorry. DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. Okay. So it's like, it's very skills based. It's really cool. There's a lot of worksheets involved. So if you like that, <laughs> mm -hmm. like look it up. Um, but it's teaching you a lot of skills. Like it's, it's, uh, it was made first to, to, for people who were suicidal and had borderline personality disorder. Okay. Um, but it works for a lot of different people. It, it deals a lot with like hopelessness and helplessness actually. Um, and those things worked with me for my depression, and anxiety, but for the part on mental illness, that is definitely like trauma-based. Okay. Like my PTSD and CPTSD, like I, I know, like I, I don't know, like I, the skills that I acquired from other therapy, like they're just, it's not enough. It just isn't. And that's not like a slam. It's just trauma is very specific. Um, and it's very different. Like each mental illness is very different and people experience them very differently. Like we might have things where we all can understand exactly like what an anxiety attack is, but you know, they're not necessarily going to look the same mm -hmm. on each of us. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping I get some, like get into EMDR soon, just because like, I know like the trauma part, like, like you said, like I, I need someone to walk with me through that because especially with the CPTSD, right? The thing with CPTSD is you, because it's such a long time of abuse and it's you trying to survive in that abuse, you end up picking up these negative behavioral patterns like sub submitting, right? And mm -hmm. rationalizing the abuse. Um, you end up picking all these things that kind of become like your personality, mm -hmm. and just like how you live. And then like you're in that for so long, like it, it, it is really hard to see, like to have like an outsider's perspective because like you live this way for so long and there's good reason, like, and you know, your mind and your body like is screaming whether you know or not, like you're doing this to protect yourself, right? Like it feels when you're, it's, it's a trauma, especially when it's abuse, it very much is like, this is life or death. Yeah. Like absolutely. it is that intense. And so. And that's exactly what CPTSD and PTSD are. We're feeling that intensity at various moments or possibly at all times, right? And so um, the other thing with abuse and possibly with any reason why someone might have CPTSD or PTSD, um, we, again, we lose our power, but we lose our voice. Mm -hmm. And I knew that one of the reasons I wanted to heal is because I wanted to have my voice back so I could speak out, but I wanted to do it from a healed place. I didn't want to do it behind the protectors. And that's where IFS has come in. I think I've only done one IFS, one IFS therapy session, um, but it's specifically to the protectors that we put up in order to protect our core. And we, again, we put up these protectors because 
they have good things and that they've helped us get through life this long. But I wanted to live from my core. Can you tell us what um, IFS stands for, please? IFS is Internal Family Systems. And I'm, again, I'm, I, I, I've only done it one time. So, so please look this up and talk to your therapist. But, but for me, it was, um, it was very much speaking to the protectors that I put up in order to get through abuse mm-hmm. and working through those. And so we went, in, we, how do I explain this? We took the protectors off and we spoke to them we acknowledged what they have done to me and help and how they have helped me to this point, but also acknowledged that isn't it, wouldn't it be more healthy to be able to live my life from my core and who I am? Oh, so because my, my protectors are not who I am. They've helped me and we need them in some capacity, but that's not who I am. Well, who is my core? Who is my healthy core? So I think, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like protectors are basically like your coping mechanisms yes. that yes. were working before and definitely had a, a reason, but now they're not effective yes. or they're not productive anymore. Absolutely. So maybe a protector is instead of dealing with a challenging circumstance, I run and hide. My protector might be to hide. And so in IFS, we work through that, that protector of hiding. That's just one yeah. example, uh, which means I'm not able to confront situations. I'm not able to work through challenging situations and challenging situations can be healthy um, if we stay in them and work through them, but from a healed place. Yeah, that's so mm-hmm. good. Like that, that sounds super interesting. Like, I feel like another one, like we were talking about earlier, like hypervigilance, like when your hypervigilance turns into like hypervigilance around everyone and all your relationships. So hypervigilance makes sense. Like it makes sense when it's just like you have an abuser, you live with your abuser. So obviously you're hypervigilant because your body and mind are definitely trying to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. That, doesn't, that doesn't serve its purpose anymore. Or it's like ineffective when you are not with that abuser anymore and say like, you're at in a classroom, you know what I mean? Like, and nothing's happening. And like your teacher taps on you. And because you're so hyper vigilant, like, you know, you're, you're used to processing like, Oh, any sort of like surprise thing is like an attack. And then you like jump. Everything makes you jump. jump. Yeah. You jump. And it's just like, yeah, this isn't effective anymore. Cause it's just like, it's not there. And Oh my gosh, those are like, it's just, that's such an interesting term for it. Protectors because I feel like people get so mad at themselves for having adapted these behaviors, but it's just like, you can't, you know, like it's really hard because you hate it, especially when you're going through it. And like when you're trying to like survive survive and change, but like, honestly, like you, it's not something to be like ashamed of, like, and it's not something bad. It's just not, useful anymore like this protected you like you were that way for a reason it's not because you're Mm -hmm. broken it's not because you're stupid it's literally because you were trying to protect yourself and this was the best you knew how and you did it exactly how are we going to survive without these protectors we did the best that we could without the tools that we needed and in those circumstances that even get you to the point of cptsd we don't have the choice if you're if you're a prisoner of war, you don't have a choice. If you're in an abusive marriage that you can't get out of, you don't have a choice. And yeah. so you do, these, you do the best that you can just to survive another day. Um, but when we get the opportunity to get out, 
I just want to say over and over again is yes, EMDR and therapy is hard work, but it hasn't been scary for me. Like once I went into it and started meeting with my therapist, it has not been scary. If you can find the right therapist who you trust, and that's so key with any mental health challenges, um, find the person you can trust that can walk you through it. It's not scary and it's so freeing. Um, and I have my hope back. And that's key for me because I so wanted to believe that hope was real and I didn't for a while. I didn't. Yeah. So it's huge to be able to just be able to look at life and go, oh my God, hope is real. Yeah, right. <laughs> and like, it is in that pit of despair. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, you know, but hope does change because we think that hope might be, we create what hope might be and it's what we think life is going to be and should be for us. But that not, might not be what it becomes. Yeah. Um, in my abusive marriage, I wanted to have a healthy and whole marriage for my kids and for myself. But that's not what my hope became. My hope came in me getting just enough power to walk away and then being able to heal. And sometimes yeah. that's what ha has to happen. Um, and yeah. I'm, so ex I'm excited to be, to, I hate to say, <laughs> I sound so cliche, but... I have I have new uh, new job. I have new friends. I have new everything has changed, and it's been good, and I'm happy. So I went from the state of constant isolation because I did isolate myself, which, by the way, is another another part of both abuse and CPTSD. Oftentimes, we isolate ourselves. Um, but I went from complete isolation, not talking to anyone, to like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling free. I'm getting healed. So. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, like, I totally understand with you're like, I don't want to sound cheesy, but like, and, and it's so hard because honestly, when you're that low, when your situation is that like messed up, it is yeah. very hard to see hope, you know, that, you know, yeah. like that things can change. It's just really difficult. And I remember, like, I remember, and it's like, when I first started going to therapy, I was such a little bitch. Like I wasn't neat, but I was just so apathetic. Like, yeah. I was just like, they're just like, okay, well, how does, like, because I had good therapists, and I was just like, they're like, well, how does that sound to you? Like, how does that make you feel? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Like, that was, like, my attitude, yeah. um, because, like, therapy can be really hard, but honestly, like, it's been, like, the most worth a thing I've ever done, and it is, oh, it is so hard, but, like. I have a question for you, though, on that, not knowing how you feel, because I truly, coming out of the narcissistic marriage that I was in, I didn't know how I felt. People would ask me, how do you feel? And I, I had lost that connection to even how I felt other than I was extremely sad and depressed and anxious. And part of that, I probably spent two years wanting to kill myself. Coming out of it and people asking me, how do you feel? Like reconnecting with my core. I keep going back to that core. I really didn't know how I felt other than depressed and sad. But what do you feel about this, Crystal? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I felt like I think for me the reasons why I was just like very like I don't know I don't know was because I'm I'm very even now like it's really hard for me to not pay attention to like track records of things like it's very hard for me to like live in the moment and I, I'm doing much better because of dialectical behavior therapy mm. but it's really hard for me to look at new things and being like is this okay or not you know what I mean? It's just like, and, cause I always had, like, I had a gut feeling, but when coming out of coming out be or being in a really depressed state and like, you know, 
that's when I would start my therapy and stuff. Like, I didn't trust anything. Yeah. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I'm depressed. I know that messes up with you. Or like, I also would say, I don't know, because it's like, everything's really complex. Yeah. Like, this is not like, I feel everything like that. This is stupid. And that this is could possibly be good. Mm -hmm. Like it was everything or like, I really didn't know. Cause I didn't want to trust anything. Like I didn't trust myself. So I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, and like, that's a very confusing and frustrating place to be. Um, because like, like you said, like I did not have myself, like I didn't have my own center or anything yet. I was just kind of living like in my behavior patterns. <laughs> mm. I was just like, I'm just living my patterns. Like, which is so like weird to say, but you know, like when you're in a better place and you can look back or even when you're just farther and you can look back, you're like, oh yeah behavior patterns repeated over and over and over and over and over like yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so stuck like just so I do remember feeling so stuck mm -hmm. and so like again that goes along without hope but just so stuck so um I love that you're sharing stories on your on your live here so that people realize they're not alone and they can get help and and it's, it's so much easier once we take that first step. It's the first step that's the hardest because there is that trust issue. And I'll tell you what, I'll be super honest. I have had therapists that I did not trust and actually put me backwards. So really finding that therapist that, that you can trust and then work through the worst moments of your life in order to get to the other side. Yeah. Um, Ooh, and girl, that's tough work. <laughs> you know, like, again, apl applause um, because you did it. And again, like you when this quarantine started, you also realized like, ah, oh, no, we're going down. So you're like, I got to get help now, which was like amazing and super impressive. It's and a journey. Yeah. And thank you for coming on to share like your story too. Like it's, it's super interesting. It's interesting. I think it's interesting. I hope you guys are interested. <laughs> um, Cause it's just like, it's our life and like living with CPTSD, like living and hypervigilance, like living in long terms of hopelessness to where, you know, like you feel this. And this is why, like, I think for me, like my PTSD was triggered in quarantine because mm -hmm. it was that feeling of feeling trapped mm -hmm. because like people were like, some people are like, oh, you know, cause I'm an introvert mm -hmm. and people were like, oh yeah, but like, it's going to be fine. Like you're an introvert. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I like staying inside when I choose to, mm -hmm. I don't want to be trapped inside and forced to stay here. Cause you know, like that, even though like, it's not, you know, like no one is trying to take away my agency. Like that's not what's happening. But in my head, that's what was happening. You know, someone was just being like, no, you can't, you're trapped now. I'm trying to put you here and trap you. And so like, in that way, like I got triggered, like my PTSD, CPTC got triggered for a little bit. And that was mm -hmm. really rough like that it went there and then like it just super heightened my anxiety yeah those old feelings come back and you don't know where you don't know how or why and it could be any moment those old feelings of being in that unsafe place they come back with the full force you feel like you're in that moment and that's what again what cptsd and ptsd is feeling like you're in that moment and so we kind of skipped over the war veteran thing, but that's that's what they're feeling. Whatever moment it was during war or facing military circumstances, that is what they're feeling. 
with PTSD or CPTSD in the moment. Yeah. Um, Flashbacks are so real. And the thing is like, I know a lot of time the media, because like, it's just literally easiest to depict everything visually, but like, you can have like auditory flashbacks, mm -hmm. like, you know, and, or it could just be like a deep, intense feeling of that mm -hmm. fear that you felt from something, but you don't even know what exactly, but like, mm -hmm. it just hits you. And like, like all of a sudden, you know, like you are afraid like you're in imminent danger, but like you're in the middle of a grocery store and you're just like, uh, uh you are back there. Like you are just emotionally back there mm -hmm. um, to where mm -hmm. the trauma was. And that's, it's really hard to live with, honestly. Dreams. Well, in dreams. Have you had dreams? I've had those yeah. dreams where I can't wake up and I'm reliving or my brain is processing something as if I'm reliving and I'm unable to get out of it. So I start yelling and talking out loud. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nightmares are, yeah, I am a person with nightmares. That definitely happens for me. I'm going to read this comment. Matthew Gordon, thank you for what you're doing. I have known I was with NPD for about two years after 20 years marriage searching for myself now. I'm glad. Yeah. So NPD, NPD, I don't know if you know what that stands for. It's narcissistic personality disorder. So thank you, Matthew, for the comment. That's not easy. It's very hard. Um, and, and again, he's saying he, searching for himself now, we don't, we lose who we are. We don't know who we are when we leave a marriage and we don't know who we were married to. We have no idea. So not only do we not know who we are, but we have no idea who we were married to um, because of the circumstances involved. And it's like, we are relearning at, after 20 years, who we are and we're relearning a new life. And it's scary. It can be scary. It is scary because again, like a lot of our quote unquote personality became, you know, us in those 20 years, like trying to live with this person, trying to, you know, keep them happy, which makes us act a certain way and behave a certain way every day mm -hmm. um, so that we can keep that relationship going. Well, codependency is a big thing with NPD or any abuse. It's the codependency is what we have to heal from as well. We don't have to, we are, we are not here. We're not responsible to fix people. We're not responsible to save people. We are responsible for being the best version of ourselves that we can be so that we can live from our core and now from a healthy core, be able to pour out into the world. Um, yeah. So the codependency goes hand in hand with that too. So even healing from that is huge. Yeah. Code oh my gosh. So codependency is just, it, it, I feel like people know it or I feel like people know it as like this is a term yeah. like codependency is a term it's for people maybe who um you know they're dating someone who is an addict like it, it I feel like people think of it as a thing that's thrown around but like people don't realize just like trauma it's a very common mm -hmm. codependency is so common like and you can build it from like when you're a child mm -hmm. because you know especially like because when you're a child you are very dependent like that's just how it works like you're dependent mm -hmm. on your parents and like those dynamics though can just become very unhealthy and also possibly flipped mm -hmm. very quickly mm -hmm. i know codependency when it was first suggested um that I might be codependent. My first thought was, what are you talking about? I am just fine by myself. I can do this. And then 
I would highly recommend people read the book Codependent No More. It has changed my life because I realized that it was a learned behavior that had been passed down for generations. And it was taught to me and lived as if it's healthy. And reading that book was the most thought-provoking and mind-changing um, experience of my life because I realized, oh my God, not only am I codependent, but I have learned behaviors that I now have to unlearn. And suddenly it was just this huge mind shift and I won't get into everything that codependency in entails, but that as well, which codependency does go along with narcissistic personality disorder. If you're married to someone who was abusive, was an addict, um, had narcissistic personality disorder, any of that, chances are you probably have codependent tendencies and that's something that we can heal from. And once we're aware of it, um, live a healthier life. And again, it, it, it was mind-blowingly uh, a whole experience shift for me. Um, but I highly recommend Codependent No More. Yeah, codependency is so tough. Like for me, for me specifically, my codependency, I didn't get that it was a thing because I was like, oh, but I'm just trying to make people happy. Mm -hmm. Or like it started with me like, wanting to particularly like make certain people happy happy and so I adjusted and I, I would do this like it started as a child and then it just kind of like morphed around to whatever relationship where I felt like I I can make you happy mm -hmm. I can save you um which me saving someone or making someone happy and not being looking back at it was I was enabling people to mm -hmm. act a certain way that was not mm -hmm. okay either towards me or other people, but I was like just enabling bad behavior and over and over. And this person just like kept doing it, but I also kept doing it. Cause like, well, if I love you, that means I'm going to make you happy. Like if I'm a good daughter, or if I'm a good student, or if I'm a good girlfriend, like this is me being that, you mm -hmm. know, like, it, but I'm like, that is the convent like codependency. Cause I was looking for so much validation through mm -hmm. like these third relationships to be like, no, I need to be a good girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like I need this. Like I, this which is like so cringy to look back upon now because you know when you know you're like oh no but like when you don't know you're like no like i i'm not that like i'm mm -hmm. not codependent i'm not enabling i love this person like it, yeah. uh, all the time it translates into that and so it's so hard especially when people don't talk about good husband like matthew said like yeah, yeah, like it's so it's so hard because you don't know and there's not enough people talking about it because it is something that a lot of people are ashamed of. And I totally understand that. But when we don't talk about these things, then people keep repeating them. Who so wants to who wants to admit that they have codependent behaviors? I mean, that's right. Like, <laughs> but well, if, if our happiness is dependent on someone else's happiness, that's codependency. If our happiness is dependent upon fixing someone and making them better, that's codependency. Um, and we could go on and on. But yeah, like he said, the good husband, the good wife, the good girlfriend, the good boyfriend. Um, it's a cycle that we can't get out of. Our happiness needs to be dependent on our own happiness and being who we are. And once we get to be who we are with the help of therapy and with the help of realizing that these are our struggles and challenges, um, life is is forever changed and um listen if you saw a picture of me three years ago i looked like i was dead my eyes were dead my hair was falling out um i'm sweating right now only because my window is shut i don't want you guys 
<laughs> my window is shut. I don't want you to hear what's outside, but but um, there was no glimmer in my eye whatsoever. I looked dead. In fact, my brother told me, Christelle, you looked dead. Like you looked like you just gray. Your skin was gray. Your eyes were dead. Um, and I was lucky enough because in narcissistic relationships, often you get isolated, not only because of yourself, but because of the person who you're living with. And I was lucky enough to have a family and a, and a really good group of friends surrounding me. I went to some group therapy sessions where that was very much not the case. Um, often you are completely isolated. You don't have anybody. And so to be able to find some kind of support system is so huge. Um, and that's a big topic. <laughs> that is a really big topic, getting out of an abusive relationship. There's so much involved. Uh, but, but yeah, our focus was uh, healing from CPTSD. So if you can get to the point of reaching out for therapy and getting that help and having someone help you walk through that, um, it's, it is scary at first, but that first step, it's so freeing, so freeing. So I tell my story, so hopefully people don't take as long as I did to get the help. Right? You're just like, oh, please, <laughs> you do not have to suffer all these years. Like, cause it sucks. Like living like that, like sucks is that's, it's painful. It's, it's so painful. painful. It, you're sick. It's painful. I, there's hope and we can be healthy and happy and healed. And I'm not going to neg negate the fact that it's hard and it's a journey and it's a process. And some of us are more uh, sensitive than others. And so we're going to feel so much more than um, other people. And we are gonna have those tendencies to, you know, sometimes be anxious and depressed. So it's a journey, it's a journey, um, but there's help and there's there hope. Is, yeah, it's so, I literally got like a memory ran through my head with when like, I dissociated a couple times, several times in front of my therapist who was cog a cognitive behavioral therapist. And luckily, like, I had the best cognitive behavioral therapist in the world because she just was so knowledgeable about other things. She's the one who first told me about EMDR. She was mm -hmm. never like, well, we're CBT, so we're staying in CBT. She would tell me about other things. Like, she's the one who told me about DBT and helped me get mm -hmm. to a DBT clinic because she's like, I think this would help you for where you are right now. And yeah. so it was so, like, I feel like that's really lucky. Like, she definitely was super comfortable with being like, hey, like, this isn't my area of expertise. Like, I know this, and we can work on it this way, but there's also this. Like, I just appreciate that um, because I felt like then it really was about me. Yeah. You know? It was never about her, which is what a good therapist is. It's never about them. It's supposed to be about you. Yeah. This is like, I love therapy because it's like that one-way relationship where it's like okay to have that one-way relationship. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. What What is disassociating to you? Because oh, I, didn't, okay. I wasn't aware of what that was. And then once I realized, I was like, I've lived my whole life disassociating. That's how, that's one of my protectors. I mean. Yeah, yeah. So dissociating is like a big part, like, of PTSD and CPTSD. Um, and I know, I, I think people like, kind of describe it as like you know like yeah you leave your body you're just like not there like mentally and emotionally for me um oh and I think a lot of people like I'm so intrigued because like when I learned all these new things I'm like is that what this person was doing like um you know because spacing out is a thing right people space out and I think dissociating mm -hmm. can look to a lot of people as spacing out mm -hmm. uh, because you know your eyes go dim you're not 
because you're just, you are, you are mentally checked out. And I know I've dissociated, like, but I'm also such a masker. Like I'm good at masking my mental illness. So sometimes I would like kind of set myself to look at a certain way and then like go. Um, but dissociating is not like spacing out because spacing out is like when you're bored, you know, like you're just like in a lecture and you're just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to daydream. We're dissociating for me in my experience. It's very much just been like, there, like there's nothing. Like there's nothing happening. Like I, it, it's definitely a defense mechanism for me. Mm-hmm. It is a protector, like you say, where it's just like, um, like say I'm being triggered because like yelling, people yelling, like especially like either it could be at me or at someone else who is in trouble can be mm-hmm. a very big trigger for me. So I'm definitely like, you know, like I thought th- things would happen like that, and like I would definitely just like freeze first and then like dissociate because I couldn't take it like Mm -hmm. I felt like I was just like in so much danger or this other person was in so much danger that like I literally couldn't take it anymore so my body like shut off and went away Mm -hmm. like and it's so weird and I've had it's been different like I have dissociated before where like I became aware that Mm -hmm. I was dissociated and I couldn't come back yeah even though I wanted to. And I, I was trying to because I basically like um, dissociated in front of my boyfriend. Like he was there for the whole, like we were talking about something and it triggered me. And then like, at first I was crying and then like, and then like my, my psyche just gave up, like it became too dangerous because I basically like dissociated because my I started feeling like suicidal or started having suicidal thoughts. And that scared me so much that it was just like off. And then I just shut down and then I was away for a while. And then at some point I came to, but like, I was like, cause I, cause I was in the midst of crying. Like I just, you know, I didn't move when you dissociate, usually you don't move. Mm-hmm. Um, so I basically became like catatonic and I just had like snot, like dripping everywhere. Like I wasn't crying anymore, but like, I also just like, you know, I didn't want to move. So I just froze. I was just there. He was like trying to talk to me for a long time, and I was trying to get back because he was gonna call like nine one one, and I was like, "Oh crap, no!" But it like took me so long. Like, yeah. So that's been like an interesting process too. I don't know if it's good or bad, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely like I've had a wide range of just like disappearing, and that's it. And then like disappearing, and then being there. And it doesn't, like, it It doesn't feel like I was outside my body. It definitely felt like I was inside, but, like, nothing, like, it just wasn't happening. Like, mm-hmm. and I was, in my head, I was trying to talk so bad and be like, no, 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 like, I just need time, like, but, like, you know, nothing, like, nothing, like, absolutely like nothing, that. no lip twitch, no nothing, like, I remembered I, I was focusing and I finally got it after a long time of like just trying to crumple the tissue that was in my hand because mm. I was just like I couldn't say anything and you know like when these things happen like you panic more so it doesn't help it um, and so it took me a while but when I I finally started break, I guess breaking out of it when I real like I felt like the tissue in my hand and I focused like a long time like it probably took me like when I finally found that like because I basically grounded myself right. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I found the sensation of this tissue in my hand. It took me like what I think was 10 minutes, but who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, 
what I thought was 10 minutes to like finally like move my hand and crumple it. And then I started coming back. Yeah. You mentioned grounding, which is really interesting because I, by accident, even discovered what grounding is. Just realizing that once I grounded myself, I felt I, I would begin to feel peace in that. Um, what is grounding for you? I Again, I found it by accident and then realized what I was doing. Grounding for me, so this is why I brought up my therapist and I realized I didn't finish. So basically I dissociated in front of her and she was the one who taught grounding to me. Like she was like, look, Trixie, like look in my eyes. And then like, so it, it took her a while to do that. And then she had me like move my fingertips on my legs and then move my toes. So um, for me, grounding is anything. For me, it's usually very physical. I think it's usually physical that like basically grounds you to where you are in the present. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to help you take yourself away from like those hyper emotional feelings or like from the upcoming flashback or maybe flashback that you're happening right now, the dissociating that you're trying to do um, to bring you back to the present, which is why like physical things work for me. Um, I, my, my most common grounding exercise is just naming all the colors in front of me. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's like a repeat color, like this room is a lot of white, but I'll just be mm -hmm. like white, 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 black, white, orange, white, white, black. Like, cause I know like, cause it, cause it turns into like my anxiety. So mm -hmm. I know that for me, like I, the energy needs to go somewhere. Like my thoughts need to race. I like calming down is very difficult for me. And so when I feel like I'm in places where it's like danger, danger, like I'm being mm -hmm. triggered, like I won't try to calm myself. I'll actually just try to put my energy towards something really narrow and focused like that. Yeah. So that's how I usually grab myself. Yeah. Have you heard of those weight blankets? Yes, I have a weighted blanket. I love it. Do you love it? I want to get one of those. I've heard of it. I knew it would help me because I used to I used to pile up pillows and that helped. I'd be like, Yeah, um, weighted blanket. I love my weighted blanket. It makes you feel so safe. Like even my boyfriend loves my, my weighted blanket. Um, but like, and then when like I'm having a really bad time, I'll just like fold it up and then put it on my chest because it's like extra weight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I highly recommend a weighted blanket. It makes, it, it just helps. It helps a lot. Like the compression on your body is just super nice. It does. Uh, it helps. Somehow the, all that anxiety, it, it is a grounding method and it just helps your entire body relax. Something that I did too for grounding was if I sit on the warm sand at the beach and I can feel the warm sand under me and I can start taking deep breaths and kind of focus on the waves, that would help ground me as well. Um, and most likely because my thoughts were going to the waves and experiencing the, the warm sand versus all this happening in my head. Um, that was one way that I learned to ground. And then like you said, you mentioned looking into your therapist's eyes. Um, I have noticed that sometimes that, that will be a sense of peace. Um, and some people need touch, not everyone. Obviously that can be a trigger for some people that sometimes a touch will help center or ground um, our core as well in the midst of anxiety. So. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because there are so many different ways, again, like for so many different people. And I just feel like grounding is so important, like because grounding is basically like healthy, very healthy, very strategic distraction. Like, you know, like it's 
you're not doing so you're not like getting drunk or something to like escape it's just like no you know you know sometimes distraction is a good thing like distraction can be a coping mechanism and that's great so mm -hmm. but like you know it is a coping mechanism and it's a good coping mechanism when like you know you are you're doing it for a reason like you're doing it on purpose to be like hey like i know like i'm starting to dissociate and this is like unhealthy for me mm -hmm. so i'm going to do this whatever yeah. distraction that could be and i just think it's always like good to like think of them like in that way is like with grounding and like just putting like the mindfulness into like when you are helping yourself to be very aware of it, even though it feels weird, or at least for me, it feels super weird. Cause I'm like, I feel like I'm awkwardly patting myself on the back, but it's just like, I should be though, because it's like my self-esteem is low for a reason and I need to combat yeah. that, you know, but it's not like, it's, it is hard. It is a journey. Like it's, it's really difficult. Like I do it and I still feel weird, but I don't scare. I, well, I was talking to someone recently and we were, we were discussing the challenges that we faced and we, we were saying out loud, isn't it weird that learning to be healthy and live a healthy life feels so weird to us? I mean, because we're so used to living unhealthy that the healthy feels weird. And then we start to look at our life and go, wait a minute. This is how life is supposed to be. <laughs> we're, supposed, we're supposed to live like this. You mean other people live like this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> other people don't live in constant fear. What? what? <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah. It's very, it's, it's hard. You honestly, I feel like living with a mental illness, you got to have a good sense of humor because there's like a lot of dark things coming your way. And like, you know, it's, 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 it, you'll have conversations like that and either you'll let it drag you down or you're going to have to just be like, oh, thank goodness I'm not there anymore and be like, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> and like yeah. have a sense of humor about it because it's, it's difficult, you know, like it is it's heavy. What do you think is the number one thing that has helped you um, with, be, my with, with your CPTSD, with mental health challenges? What do you think is like the main thing that has really helped you? survive or thrive I or think overcome. there's two things one I do very much attribute therapy because I think I just I would I'm I wouldn't have known I really like even when I wasn't diagnosed with PTSD like some some of my therapists like kind of ended up just helping me with it especially when they diagnosed me with it they're like I'm not a specialist but you have this so we're gonna start heading towards that way um and then also like building, having a good support system. Like I, even though I am very introverted, like I am very, I'm very blessed to have a lot of friends because I'm so introverted. Like I love one-on-ones with people. So I was always really good, you know, cause some of that came from unhealthiness. And, you know, <laughs> at first it was just like, I'm going to fix everything for you. Yeah. Oh, that's bad because of this. Uh, but um, as I got older and stuff, and like even now, like I'm very much like, you, there's no such thing as like a support system that is too big. And that doesn't mean like I have to like keep up with every friend I have, like 100% all the time. But it just, you know, like building relationships and being like respecting people, having their boundaries, and just like being open, like is priceless. Cause, you know, part of like the hopelessness and stuff I felt was like the fear of like being alone and unloved. Mm. Um, so like building a support system was really 
helpful for that. And also because, you know, like a lot of people with mental illness, a big fear of ours is that we become a burden mm-hmm. on our friends and family. And, and like, you know, like we're not a burden, but like at the, I wouldn't use the term burden because that has such like a bad connotation. Like it is definitely difficult living with someone with mental illness. Like that is very true. And um, I've had talks with my boyfriend before where basically was like, this is too much. Like, I don't know what to do. Cause we always said like, we need to be honest. Cause like, I know, like I knew what I got with him, like mental illness is hard living with someone with mental illness, dating them. It's difficult. So we have to be honest. And so it was about this time where I was having like a really rough go, like a yeah. really rough maybe year or so. And he was just like, it's, it was, it was weighing down on him. Yeah. And so I realized that, you know, after having my moments of like, you don't love me, mm-hmm. after, you know, after like I had that knee jerk reaction and then like thought about it, I was like, oh, I have been putting too much on him only like, because I wasn't in therapy anymore. And so I think I was just like, oh, like talk about it, talk about it. And I didn't realize I was only talking to like one person and I was mm-hmm. like, that's too much for one person to bear because then, you know, you are putting it on that one person. So I... And I still now deliberately try to build my support system, um, you know, just so also because like, you know, I want to help other people and be friends with other people, but also because I know like the more people I have, the less likely I'll burn out someone because I really don't want to do like, I want to be a friend. Like, I don't want to be someone who just vents to people about their problems. Like Mm -hmm. that is part of friendship, but I don't want that to be, you know, like the main thing. Like I want... I want to listen to other people too. So building my support system. I know, I know in the midst of my worst, my worst where I, my core was very small. My core group of friends was very, very small in the midst of my worst. Um, And when my CPTSD was at its highest, um, I had one friend who would always say, you are powerful, Christelle. And I needed to hear those words because I felt powerless and I felt hopeless. So to have those key friends who can keep reminding you that you are powerful, that you can overcome, that they don't allow themselves to get sucked into where we are maybe at that moment, that emotional, they can actually help us come out and maybe get the help. And then something else that I have friends do for me and I do for them as well is remind them like, have you talked to a therapist? And we have that kind of relationship you know, you're in a place where therapy might be helpful. Um, so once we build those really good relationships and we're able to be super honest, um, that's so key too. But but I can relate to you. I would say the exact same thing, actually, having a core community um, and a really good therapist and being willing to go through the hard things, knowing that you're going to get better um, and you're going to get to the good. And so... Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because like, like, like you said, like, it's so easy to feel so hopeless about it. And a lot of times, like, that's where we start. We start feeling hopeless. We like, start at the bottom often. I hit rock bottom. Something that was presented to me was, you know, you're going to hit rock bottom too, as a, as a codependent. And in this relationship, I hit rock bottom to where literally I felt like I was on a pavement and couldn't go any farther. And I had one choice to get up. And I didn't want to, <laughs> I just remember that, that I did not want to get up. I only had a choice of getting up because I couldn't go any further. Um, and so, yeah, that's my story. 
I hope I make sense. Do you have a wonderful <laughs> story. I'm sorry, what did you say? Do you have more questions for me? I hope that I made sense. And no, I did. Like, and it, I was like, be like, it's time to wrap it up, but we definitely need to have like a part two. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh my God, time went by so quickly. Uh, but yeah, we definitely need to have a part two. Let's uh, do because it. It's good and it's a lot. There's so many things we haven't even touched on yet, but that's just because like, a lot and also this is our life <laughs> absolutely and i want to say again i probably did not describe emdr and ifs just with justice so please google and find a really good therapist anyone who's listening and watching because it is life-changing um and it's a beautiful thing and it's so healing and freeing yeah look those things up there's so many like People just know therapy, and if anything, they usually people know cognitive behavioral therapy or talk therapy, and that's it. Mm -hmm. But there are different types of therapy that are specialized, like um, IFS and EMDR, trauma based. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've had trauma, that's definitely something like Chriselle said that you should look up um, and see if it seems right for you. And, you know, with most therapists, like you can have a free consultation just to talk about it, just so you could understand more. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, thank you, Sal, for being thank on you. here with me. That was super nice. That <laughs> was really like nice. Like it's it's nice. Like I I think for me personally, like it was really nice because it's just like, you know, like I don't have a lot of diagnosed friends with CPTSD. Like, like I know people have it, and but also it's just like not everyone wants to talk about it, and that's fine. Like, so I I was really excited. Um, when you reached out and you're like, I have CPTSD and I was like, oh my God, we should talk. Let's um, do that. <laughs> yeah, like, because like, again, like, you know, like the stigma ends when we like, we can only end it by talking about it mm -hmm. like, when we're okay to, you know, like we feel good enough and okay with it to talk about it and we should. And the people who are not, they shouldn't because it's their life. Like that's how they heal. Um, absolutely yeah. and not everyone is safe to do so not everyone is yeah. is safe to talk about it and yeah. that's so we can talk about it because we are in a safe place yeah. um, the story will help someone who isn't yet and I remember not being in a safe place and hearing other people's stories um, but stories are powerful and I hope that that this was good and I love chatting with you let's do it again yeah that's super fun <laughs> okay um is there anything promote to us your live show that at the end of my shows we just do a plug and i go plug if yeah. you want to find me um i'm on twitter that's where i like to communicate with people i can talk really i can <laughs> that's where i like to communicate with people find me on at sd christelle my name is right below c-h-r-s-t-e-l-m-e -E. that's her instagram and her twitter then um instagram is sd.christelle so so twitter is at sdchristelle that's really where i like to hang out with people's twitter um and then i'm doing oh no not another live show on facebook tuesdays at 12 noon pacific time which is a lot of fun we're learning how to do lives um yeah. me on twitter we'll see what's going on i'll keep you up to date and trixie hopefully we'll chat again soon yes Thank you for listening to the Ready to Talk podcast. I want to say thank you one more time to Christelle for coming on and being so open and honest about her life. You can find her on Twitter at SDChristelle, C-H-R-I-S-T-E-L-L-E, -E, or at Instagram at SD.Christelle. You can also check out her show, Oh No, Not Another Live Show, on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. 
Last, if you are struggling with your CPTSD or think that you maybe have it, please contact a mental health professional. Living with CPTSD is hella hard. You are not alone and you deserve help if you need it. See you guys next time.